This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today we are welcoming Cindy Huffington to the show. Cindy holds a doctorate degree in neuroscience and she is the founder of Curious Neuron. She's really passionate about taking research, scientific research, and making it practical and uh, like applicable to parents to take it and apply it in everyday life. And this is what we're doing today on the show. Today, we are talking about how to tame tantrums with science. So you're going to learn what is going on in your child's brain when they're having these big feelings and how we can help to support and soothe them during this time. We also talk about what behaviors are developmentally appropriate and how to work with those both to tune into the child's needs, but also to tune into our needs in the moment and regulate our own emotions and reactions to this meltdown that might be happening. Cindy's approach is so practical, so helpful, and includes little games and playful activities to do with our kids. So get ready. It's going to be an awesome episode today. Before we jump into it, let's read our review of the week. This review comes from Muna A, and it's titled Overcoming the Stigma. I come from a community that stigmatizes mental health. As a mother of three now, I'm more driven to learn about mental health, mothering, and seeking help. I'm so happy to have found you and your show. Thank you for this platform, the guests you invite, and your insight. Thank you, Muna, so much for leaving this review. Um, These reviews come from iTunes, and I appreciate the fact that you took the time to acknowledge that this is helpful for you and that, you know, we should keep doing what we're doing because it's reaching so many of you. So thank you. Thank you for spreading the word, for sharing with your friends, and so happy to have all of you here. Let's hear my interview with Cindy. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time and, you know, momming and at home and in COVID to be with us today to talk about toddlers or children and tantrums and how we deal with them according to science and research. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Erica. And I just found out we're practically neighbors. You're in Montreal. I'm in Toronto area. So 
Closest. Nice That's to really have close. you. <laughs> so I would love to, before we jump right into the like research and tips and tricks and stuff, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you if you're open to that. Of course. And so I know that you have a PhD and I was asking you before we got on air, are you a therapist? Are you a researcher? So can you share a little bit about your background with us so that we know how you've become so like proficient in these research studies? Yes. So I, I have a PhD or a doctorate in, in neuroscience. And my, my journey, I think, in research and in life has always been everywhere, <laughs> scattered. Um, so, I mean, I started off at university where I was studying um, kinesiology. So, you know, exercise and movement of the body. Then I went into a rehabilitation and learned a bit more about the brain. And then that led to a neuroscience degree. And then during my neuroscience degree, I was studying schizophrenia and the early signs so early uh, first episode psychosis. And most of the patients we were seeing um, in, in clinic were patients who were very young. And so I was studying their emotions. I was studying their cognitive ability, so their memory, their attention span, and so on. And that really is what led to my curiosity in terms of what's happening in their brain uh, when they're learning. They're so young and what's happening to, you know, inside in terms of their emotions. And so that led to a postdoc in education. So completely hmm. <laughs> different field again. And that was just to understand a little bit more in terms of how you could learn, um, you know, with certain uh, mental health issues that you might be experiencing or, you know, so that's kind of my path. Um, but then during my postdoc, um, I had my first child and I decided I wanted to stay home. <laughs> so I uh, launched Curious Neuron, which initially was uh, me working, um, giving workshops so I could do it whenever I had a chance. And I would go into schools and talk about the brain and talk about learning because that's really what I had merged um, between my postdoc and my doctoral studies. Then I started working uh, privately with young children because uh, I was giving these talks in schools talking about the brain and learning and parents were saying well can you apply these to kids I'm like well yeah I, I'm pretty sure I can and then I started doing some games and some I, it's not a, I wasn't a play therapist but I was through play developing helping a child learn how to remember things for their exams you know, uh, they were having trouble with their homework. And, you know, so I was just sitting down, helping them, you know, visualize certain things and help them with all these cognitive skills. And that's what I did for about a year and a half, two years. And then I had a second child and I realized that even a few hours a week was too much. So I stayed home completely. And mm. Curious Neuron became a blog. And I really wanted to, I wanted to stay relevant and not relevant, but stay up to date in terms of research, because I really enjoyed that part of my, my career. Uh, my very short career, but I, um, so I started reading articles that, that through my, guided through my questions, you know, mm. what's happening with my baby? Why is my child having these tantrums or these big emotions? So yeah. I started a blog just to post about what I was reading. And that led to the Instagram account that led to a podcast now. And actually this fall, we'll be launching a new product, a new uh, courses, but many, many courses. So following that the is so exciting. Yes, I'm really excited. And everything we do in Curious Neuron with Curious Neuron now, it's not just me anymore. We are a team and everything we do is backed by science. So it's basically where you can get parenting advice on our blog or podcasts and our courses, upcoming courses. And it's professionals in the field in pediatrics and research. And everything is always backed by science. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
It's so interesting to me that you were sort of on this course and then you became a mom and then your really like academic and professional skills married with your just sort of practical experience of of motherhood and a new passion (laughs) for parenting and trying to figure this wild ride out, right? Um, And having the skills to be able to do that and like interpret and understand the research has been so interesting and powerful. So many people are going to learn from that. I love it. I love it. So when we were talking about planning this episode and we were talking about, okay, how do we deal with behaviors and tantrums according to science? I was like, that is such an interesting way to look at it. Um, And maybe a really good place to start would be maybe understanding our child's brain or understanding maybe why some of these behaviors happen. Because I think that as a mom of a three and a half year old and a two year old right now, I think that what happens is we can sometimes take our children's behavior or big feelings personally, because Mm -hmm. we think that um, you know, they're just trying to be defiant or not listen. Yeah. And we don't have the background or the insight of really what's going on in their little brains and bodies. And I think it's a good place to start because um, putting your, you're placing yourself inside their brain, I guess you could say, um, really allows you to understand what's happening and provide more empathy towards it. You know, so let's start with um, let's say you and I were having a coffee and out of nowhere, I just took your coffee and just threw it across the room. Okay? <laughs> now, you could uh, respond very differently. There are many ways that you could respond to this. And this is what we call emotion regulation, right? So you could just lose your mind on me and say, what are you doing? And go towards anger. You could approach it in a curiosity way and say, why, you know, question, why, why did you do that? Are you okay? Um, you could cry. <laughs> you could be startled. Just, yeah. yeah, be startled. You could be scared. So in that moment, your brain decides what I'm, you have emotions because you have, it's normal to respond emotionally to what I just did. But you have to figure out what do I do with all these emotions? So that's the normal trajectory. In a child, they're going to have the same emotions towards a reaction to so something that's happening. Um, could be something as small as us giving them what they want, <laughs> right? Which happens very often, but you asked for this. Or it could be a sibling taking a toy away. They're going to get that surge of emotions, just like you did when I tossed your coffee cup across the room, but their brain does not know what to do with it, hmm. with all these emotions. So it has to do with the emotion part of the brain is called the amygdala. And the part that will deal with all these emotions is the frontal lobe, which is right behind your your forehead. That part of the brain continues to develop until we're about the age of 25. Mm -hmm. So imagine in a one or two or three-year-old where that is all fresh, they're developing those skills um, that will help them deal with these emotions up until 25. That's why we also have those teenage years where we often say to our kids, I'm not there yet, but I was told this as a child. Mm -hmm. Didn't you think of that before doing it? Like, why don't you think of it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's, it's, you know, as a young child, that emotion part of the brain is functioning very well. So you're, you're able to express that intense anger or that intense sadness, but your frontal part of the brain, when it's receiving all those emotions says, I have no idea to do this. I'm just going to let it out as 100% sadness or 100% anger because it doesn't know how to sort of dim it down a bit or how to change, you know, if it's a, a sibling taking a toy away. The brain hasn't learned yet how to divert it, to, like divert the uh, attention to something else if it's not something important that happened, right? Like if it's just mm-hmm. a toy, we might say all they did was take a toy away from you. You're not hurt. 
nobody yelled at you you know what why are you yelling or why are you why are you crying but to them it's always a hundred percent and that's how it's coming out to us and that's why it's hard for us to understand them and I, I think also a way that I try to gain a bit more of empathy for them is when, you know, we've all had days where we've walked into the office or into a you know family event and something had happened prior and we might have, we might just start crying or, you know, we, it could be anger that makes us cry. It could be extreme sadness. So we have big emotions as well. And we have these outbursts once in a while. And I always tell parents, what do we want from another adult when we do experience these big emotions? And it's connection. And we Mm -hmm. have to apply the same thing with our kids as much as it gets to us. I I think when their brain is going through this, we have to really see it from their perspective where their brain doesn't know how to do, doesn't know what to do with these emotions yet. So that's so important. And I I don't know if it was Dr. Becky. I've done um, a lot of interviews. I had Dr. Becky Kennedy on lately, and she's also very much um, in this space of, of emotion regulation, both parent and child. And, um, and it's kind of like our kids, their their reactions and feelings and like how they kind of knee-jerk respond are like this, right? There's none of that space in between, like you're talking about to kind of step back and be curious and wonder and decide or think about why they're feeling the way mm-hmm. that they're feeling. And in fact, I would go as far as to say that I know several adults who are that way as yes. well. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm probably guilty of no. that. Right? <laughs> so, um, so I think that it's like so much of what I do with parents when we're talking about behavior is really taking it back to this age appropriate sort of, sort of developmentally appropriate expectation, Mm -hmm. because I know that while they may be getting language and appearing more kind of grown up and adult, um, and maybe articulating themselves or ahead with their speech and things, um, that like impulse control or that regulation is really, really, uh, still developing. And And that's why it doesn't make sense to us sometimes. Right. Because we're like, why did you, it's that impulse too. It's like, I just told you not to do that or why did you touch it or why did you do this and we don't realize to them it's like I want I get (laughs) I want I'll take it (laughs) and it leads to so many big emotions (laughs) yeah definitely so do you have any um while we're in this sort of like practical impulse kind of conversation do you have any (laughs) sort of strategies or ideas that you've come across in working with parents and in research about how to help kids um, control that impulse or slow it down a little bit yeah, I, I love talking about um, tantrums and big emotions from a neuroscience perspective because we we talk about things that we might not normally hear. Um, so first of all, these this emotion regulation or these em- regulating your emotions is something that you'll see it become a little bit better around the age of six, like usually around this time of kindergarten, so five, six. Not that they're going to be perfect, but you'll see a big difference between, you know, one or two years old and six. You, you should. You know, it, it, we have to remember that these are skills. So it's not something that if we wait by six, then all of a sudden things will change. No, if a child, you know, is is one or two and already experiencing these big emotions, we have to start providing them the right tools. And by tools, it's it's kind of like we're going to become, we have to picture ourselves as an emotional coach for them. You know, they don't know what to do with these emotions. So we have to provide them with those tools of, you know, what do you do when you're frustrated? What do you do when you're disappointed? Um, and in addition to all that, which we'll talk about later, there's these cognitive abilities. And this is where my work comes in. And this is where my questioning came, you know, what is emotion regulation and, and how can we train this? So 
this is not my information from a therapist perspective. It's really truly purely from research. And we, we look at what encompasses or what plays a role in this. And there's a tension. So there's this big umbrella term called executive functions. And mm-hmm. part of these skills, you could picture executive functions as um, sort of the the air control, uh, you know, um, of the, the brain. So the, the person who's controlling everything else. So it's a really big term and involves some working memory, some attention and inhibitory, inhibitory control, which is what you were talking about too when we talk about impulse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are lots of tasks that they do in research. And a game that comes to mind with older kids is Simon Says. So let's just take a game that we might be more familiar with. When you are playing Simon Says, a child has to remember, okay, so first they're using their executive functions. They have to remember when you say Simon says, followed by a body part or an action, they do it. If you don't say Simon says, they have to inhibit themselves. So their brain has to say, don't do it. (laughs) And uh, so if you say Simon says, touch your nose, they touch their nose. If you say, touch your cheek, and then they they have to stop themselves from touching their cheek. So this Mm -hmm. is a game that we can play with older kids. If we notice, you know, that maybe they're having lots of tantrums, it's not that it'll make, uh, that it'll stop them, but you're helping them develop sort of cognitive skills that'll contribute to the development of these executive functions along with providing them the tools. So it's a very complex thing for a child to learn. It's not as simple as remembering, you know, a list of something. It's the, there's really a lot that plays into it, emotions and uh, emotion regulation. Mm-hmm, and with, mm-hmm. with younger kids, there's a really interesting game called the bear, uh, bear dragon task. So the bear is the good one, and it's a, there are two puppets, a bear and a dragon, and you could do this at home. And it's the same concept as Simon says, but it's in a way that you can do it with very young kids. So if the bear says, touch your nose, I don't have a bear and a dragon, but if the bear says, touch your nose, you touch your nose. But if the naughty dragon says, touch your nose, you cannot touch your nose. <laughs> mm. So it's a way of developing these skills with kids um, just playing this every day, you know, uh, once in a while, whenever you have a chance to, to do this, because these are skills that will greatly contribute to their emotion regulation. Um, there are, sometimes I play the opposite game with my kids. If I take two stuffed animals, let's take the bear and the dragon again, and I show them the bear, they have to say dragon. So I hide both puppets behind my back and uh, I'll show them the bear and they have to say dragon. So again, their brain has to remember the rule and inhibit themselves from saying bear when they see the bear and remember to say dragon. So it's really complicated for the brain, but these are skills that they need um, mm. and that we have to help them develop. So there are little games that you could do like that. I love that. I love that so much. And are those like, those would be reinforcing and strengthening those pathways that help to build that impulse control, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 We, you know, we, we could complain about it and, you know, be annoyed by it because it is um, frustrating. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. So I have three kids just uh Oh, you've got FYI. three kids. Three, okay. Yeah. I had three kids under four years. <laughs> so right now they're all one, three, and four. And you five, and so. I, I'm right in there with you. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So we are in the midst of the one-year-old developing all these wonderful skills <laughs> of, of just screaming at everything. And my three-year-old is right getting better, um, but still in the, you know, in the midst of learning to control his emotions. So we're playing these games a lot, providing tools every day because I get it. It's, it's, 
um, it's hard to to deal with this, especially when it's a couple times a day. By the end of the day, or Fridays, Fridays for me are very hard. Yeah, <laughs> um, Fridays right here are intense yeah. too. Yeah, I I find, and it's probably because I'm more tired by Friday, but I find that Fridays are difficult when you're home with your three kids every single day. Um, Friday is a tough day for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of emotions. <laughs> Yeah. And I think about, and I don't know if these would play into the exact same tasks in the games that you're talking about. Um, but with my younger ones, like my two and three, we'll do like dance, dance, freeze games. Oh, yes. Or yes. like, yes. like, right. So where they're like, dance, 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 go crazy. Yes. And then they have to like freeze. And yes. really they have to control their impulse to move until I tell them they can like yes. pause or dance again. <laughs> um, or they love to play like where they get a controller and they like pretend pause each other. Oh, yes. I love that. So these types of games where like, especially I find for my second, who is a little bit more of like a wild spirit for him to stay <laughs> paused is like work. It is some serious work on his behalf. And, you know, but when it's fun like that, he can get into it and he can enjoy mm -hmm. it. And I think it's important to remind parents that it's it, you're, even if you do it, let's say a couple times the first week and they're having trouble, keep keep doing it. You know, don't give up because this is a very difficult task for the brain to to accomplish. But the more you do it, you'll see an improvement. And it won't take a week or two. It might take, you know, two months. It's it's going to take time. But you need to be consistent and repeat a lot. Um, I've seen a difference with my kids, too. And you you just, like you said, with that freeze game, at first, they might not even stop at all. Or we would right. also create like a little stop sign and pretend we're driving. And then the older child would have to put the, the stop sign up. And then the middle one, who, again, has trouble regulating his emotions, <laughs> would have to stop. But he'd just, like, drive around here. He didn't care. He didn't care that the stop sign was up. But now he realized that it was part of the game. And he and he just stops himself. Exactly. So you, you do see the improvements. It takes time. But you we, you see improvements. Okay. Have you ever heard of the um, the task where they place a chocolate chip cookie in front of the kids? Yes. <laughs> It's actually recirculating on social media recently. I think it was it? like jelly bean. Yeah, it was an experiment. Everyone was doing it in like stories and on TikTok where they put like, oh, they were putting treats in front of their toddler and that kind of became a social media thing recently. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever done I've it? I've never done it, but I could pretty much predict how it would go based on temperament for each of my children. Like my first, he's also a little bit older, but he's been the very observant, responsible one. My second, like the second you turn around, it would be gobbled yeah, up. Do. Like it would have. <laughs> <laughs> and my yeah and my third he's still a little bit young uh, but I think he would wait I think he would wait my middle <laughs> would just gobble it all though, for sure. <laughs> I've, I, I've done it um once or twice I think with my older two not my baby's too small yet but I I really uh, urge parents to try it you know there are different ways of doing it so there's the one where you place the cookie in front of the child and you have them wait a very short amount of time. Like, I think it's two or three minutes, not more than that. Yeah, you, like, um, do a little task where you, like, turn to the side to, like, yeah. do something, tell them to wait and, like, yeah. give them you ask space. them not to touch them. Yeah. And I think that there's an incentive. So I think if you don't touch it the entire time, then you get an extra cookie, right? Because you want them to think, okay... I really need to not eat this cookie because there's a bonus at the end of this. Um, mm. But there's also a game where you place, um, there are, not a game, but in research, there are two other ones. You can place their favorite toy under a clear box or bin and ask them uh -huh. not to touch it. Okay. So they have to control themselves and not touch it. Or there's another one where they 
the way that they test emotion regulations in some studies is you give a child uh, a gift, so they unwrap a gift, but it's something that they really don't want. So they question them first to see like what sort of toys they like and they don't like. And then they prepare the situation. So it's a, a created situation where with the mom, they sit there and they un they unwrap this gift and it's exactly what they don't want. And you see a progression depending on how old they are when they're younger, they don't know. And this falls again with this emotion, emotion regulation. They have no idea that you have to kind of inhibit that response of, I don't want this <laughs> or I don't like the, this toy. And you have to kind of put on that fake smile and say, thank you. Even So there's a lot that goes into that. And yeah. they, they've noticed that it only uh, not fully develops, but you only see a really big difference closer to 10. <laughs> so that's a big difference. Wow. In age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even if you're six or seven and you're starting to gain that control of your emotions, stopping that or knowing how to kind of fake it, you know, in terms of thank you, that's not what I wanted. It, it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of different abilities. So it's it's that's another one that's fun to try. <laughs> That's so interesting. I've never heard of the present one. I love yeah. it. And it's true because kids are are known for saying the darndest things as they say, right? Like they just exactly. will say like, oh, a book or clothes or whatever. Like why? So there's two things that are coming to my mind. One is maybe we could kind of clearly define, I think we've done it a little bit, but maybe we could clearly define for those who don't live in this space, kind of like we do, what emotion, like what does it mean to truly regulate? Like what is regulation both for our child and hello for mama, who is also trying to deal with child's behavior, right? So can we define that? And then I also want to go into um, how does connection help yes. us to play into mm -hmm. regulating? Yeah. So emotion regulation is really, it's, it's the ability to, to take a change in your environment, something that will trigger you, I guess, in a sense, and control the emotions that are coming in. And, and it's really something, you're taking something in, extrinsic, something from the outside, and controlling what's happening on the inside and then also controlling what comes out. <laughs> so it's a bit of the inside and outside, I guess I could explain it. And in terms of research, there are lots of different definitions and there isn't really a consensus in terms of how to define it, but really it's it's how you're controlling those emotions. And sorry, your question was, so we as as parents also have to do the same thing. Is, is that yeah, what you want to do? It's like there's something happening in our external environment. Um, yes. and, and so particularly in the instance where we're talking about like our child's behavior, is there something mm -hmm. like negative that is just regulating to us and it's how we react and respond and are adaptable in those moments that is sort of how we regulate right that's what okay. i'm hearing yes exactly yes and what's interesting is that whenever i do give these uh, a workshop or talk about tantrums or big emotions in children people or parents are waiting for me to give a list of things that they to tell their child or to do with their child and there are lots that we can do there's yeah. a lot however the main thing and when you look at all the studies that look at emotion regulation every or almost every study will talk about how we as parents in their environment, mostly moms, because the studies are done with moms, how we um, respond to their emotions is what will help them develop these emotion regulation skills. The more regulated and controlled we are in the environment, the more controlled and regulated they will be. Um, and, more the, and we have to model this very young because you know, these emotion regulation skills start developing very young in, in children. So around the age of one, you're going to see these outbursts because the brain is starting to develop this and trying to figure out its environment and how to respond to certain external things that are happening in its environment. And if we at the start are frustrated with our, our baby, then the, already we're showing the child, you know, when things aren't going well, we yell or we get upset. Whereas if we're controlled and we try our best to stay calm, 
And it's not easy because especially when they're one, they don't have the language skills yet. They don't have the understanding of what emotions are yet. Um, so, you know, changing a diaper is very difficult. Uh, feeding them, putting them into their high, their high chair, putting them into the car seat. Every single thing becomes mm -hmm. um, a, a reason for an emotional outburst. And I get it. Uh, it, it. At some point, you're like, you know, what? What did I do now? Why? Mm -hmm. Why are you crying? And then we lose control of our emotions. But I, I like to say when it comes to a child's emotions and even our own to become a bit of that emotional detective. Why? Let, let's start with us. We have to take the time to journal about it. Take a, keep a, note, a notebook or a notepad in your environment. And whenever you feel triggered, whether it's by your one-year-old or by your five-year-old, whenever you feel triggered, I, I recommend to write it down. What was happening? Is it because they ignored you? Um, is it because they you're repeating yourself and they're not listening to you? Um, you know, are you tired today? Just to journal about everything that's going on and then try to look for categories. Um, am I feeling tired? Is it every time I'm tired that I'm not responding as well? Um, is it uh, when they're whining? Is it when I didn't get enough me time? Um, because mm -hmm. for me, that's what happened to me. So I, I started writing things down. For me, I started losing more control of my emotions, I guess, after I had my third one. First child, I was like, I'm parenting exactly how I want. This is fun. You know, like you control <laughs> your emotions. They have their tantrums. And you're like, this, I could do this. Then I had my second one. And then you have your first still in their period of regulating their emotions because I had them under two years old, uh, under two years. And then you have a one and a three-year-old and you're like, oh, okay, this is a little harder than I thought because both of them are having trouble with their emotions. But then it was the third one when the third one came along. I was like, that's it. Hands up. I, I give up. <laughs> I yeah. can't do this. Yeah. So for me, that was my big moment of, you know, realizing, okay, if I don't do something about myself, yeah. then this will just get worse. And that is really the biggest thing that we can do uh, in terms of helping us as ourselves as parents. It's realizing I need help or I need to work on myself. If I don't work on myself, I cannot help my child. Mm -hmm. um, so that was for me a big realization after the third one. And I'm still yeah. in that period. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate 
providing pre-prepared chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. That is one of the most understated or underestimated pieces of motherhood. Like even as a psychotherapist going into motherhood, I had no idea. And I share this all the time with my audience that like 95% of the work would be me regulating myself to (laughs) the things that happen in the day. Right. And especially I can relate to when I had my third, like, I don't think I ever like raised my voice as a parent until I had my third or like (laughs) when I'm trying to juggle all three needs and mommies at the same time. Also, my kids were quite young. So like now that they're older and they're more in that, like two and three, like when they're babies, I don't know, babies don't have preferences. Babies feel refreshing after you've had a toddler <laughs> sometimes, but yeah. But it yeah. really is. You're right. I think I posted about that this week and it's, I wrote um, something like, you know, it, it's the real, bec- the hardest part of parenting is realizing that it's not your child's behavior. You have to change. It's your own. Mm-hmm. And by changing how you respond to them, it is. It will really change how you parent, and that's a. It's it's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. It's a yeah. lot of work, and 
you know, we might be able to do it on our own. We might need some help as well. And that's okay. The harder you work on yourself, honestly, I, I, the, what I, what I've seen is the better the outcome is with your children and you'll have better days too. Um, mm -hmm. It's not that their moments won't show up anymore. It's not that they won't have these big emotions, but you'll be, you'll be able to deal with them so much better than, you know, before if you yeah. work on how, and a lot of the, you know, what's hard about working on yourself is that all this stuff from your past comes back um, yeah. and yeah. things that you might not have thought of, you know, some, something as if for me, there was a lot of confidence building that I had to work on. Um, you know, we all make mistakes as parents. We do our best. And same thing with my upbringing. I was raised by a single mom and she wanted to be the strict dad and mom at the same time. So she was extra strict. Um, so it was a lot of no's and you can't do this and, you know, you'll fail at this and not on purpose. She was trying to protect me. Mm -hmm. um, but I had never dealt with that before. And now all of this sort of came back just because I was being triggered by my kids. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I had to deal with those emotions. I didn't know I had to deal with um, accepting that, you know, okay, I need to build my confidence. I feel triggered because I'm not feeling heard. But if I feel, if I can let that thought go, or if I could feel confident in my decision of saying, no, you cannot have this, you know, and mm -hmm. that's it, it's not going to change. I'm not going to give in to your tantrum. But the answer is no. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. you feel proud of yourselves of yourself in these little moments. And you start building your confidence as a parent. So there are ways there, there, there definitely are ways. <laughs> yes. And I've learned from, I don't know if you um, follow or are familiar with Dr. Becky Kennedy, but in our conversation and in following her and just some of the conversations we've had, I um, she shared this really interesting kind of profound quote that our, our tolerance or ability to sit with a feeling or like tolerate a behavior in our child, it reflects if our parents were able to yeah. tolerate it. And us or not, right? So yeah. like we tend to shut down the behaviors that our parents shut down in us because mm -hmm. we weren't modeled or taught a system or a way to mm -hmm. regulate or tolerate those uncomfortable um, feelings. So because we as parents have the, the capacity to have the gap, right? Mm -hmm. We don't automatically know how to have the gap. Sometimes we do just feel and react, right? But we have yeah. the ability and the brain power to create some space in there to stop and be mindful and be curious about what is going on with us. And there's actually an acronym that I use. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but it's called BOLD. Um, B is for breathe. So in when, as soon as you feel that you have reacted or you're getting like, you're gritting your teeth and your body's no telling you, you know, like, oh, I just, this is so frustrating. Um, you stop and you breathe. And that sounds really elementary. I feel like when I tell clients that, but our breath regulates our nervous system, mm -hmm. right? And we have to learn how to stop and calm our breathing and calm that fight or flight response that's coming exactly. up in that in that situation. And then we would go into observe. And I've been doing a course recently on like trauma and, and understanding the like wild impact of mindfulness on our mm -hmm. brain and body. And so even in those moments, how we create space after we've taken a breath is to start with being non-judgmentally curious about what is going on, right? That mindfulness of just like, whoa, why am I reacting this way right now? What is going on here? Is it that they're tired? Is it that I'm tired and hungry? Mm -hmm. Like how, you know, and giving some of that space. Um, and then I would go into 
like so bold, listen, like listen to your values and like what type of philosophy you have as a parent and how you want to respond. And Mm -hmm. this to me really goes into that deciding to connect and leaning into needs and connections. So maybe we can go into that a little bit because how, how does connection relate to helping regulate our child in these moments? Because I think that as parents, we see it as their responsibility and their skill to like pull themselves (laughs) together. But um, the more that I learn and the more I'm in this space, the more that our connectedness with them is also what helps to regulate them. And that goes back to a lot of research studies. So what they they show is that the way, so first we model our emotions. Um, So I think the connectedness and what you describe now also with the breathing and the space, I think what I've learned from taking those breaths, I always force myself to take three breaths before saying anything it gives that space and time. (laughs) So you don't really say what you want to say right away. And you have the time to say something different that might help. And in in research, what they show is that being sensitive, being supportive, being responsive and warm to your child, as hard as it is, but this sort of effective or nurturing environment through these big emotions is what calms a child down, is what models the emotions you want from them. And part of that being sensitive and responsive is that connection. So let's say your child starts screaming, um, you're at the grocery store. You know they're screaming. We all usually know the reason why. Sometimes we don't, but we usually do. And if you know it's because you just passed the cereal aisle and they wanted a specific cereal, but you still have some at home and you say, no, you know, we're not buying, I don't know, a Captain Crunch today. (laughs) Well, they might have these big emotions. Now, what you can do is get upset about it because you said, no, I said, no, we're not getting them. And then nothing is happening. You're not creating that sensitivity, that responsiveness, and you're not connecting to your child. So what you can do is say, I see this upsets you. I know that you really want some Captain Crunch, but right now I'm saying no and I'm sticking to no because we have some at home. If you want some when we get home, it's fine. But showing them that you understand that they're experiencing an emotion, show them that you understand that they feel sad or frustrated. And I like to connect uh, but making sure that I have eye contact. So if I'm at home and I'm in the kitchen and my child has an emotional outburst, I will get down to their level. So I connect through eye contact, which is what I would do with an adult. I want to make sure that for me, I make sure that I get down to their level, that I look at them in their eyes. And even if they're having this full-blown tantrum or these, these big emotions, I'm connecting with them by looking at them. And depending on which child, because each child I've seen it in my three kids will want something different in terms of connection. One child uh, will want to be held during their emotional outbursts or their their big emotions. Another child will not want to be touched. Um, For him, I connect through speaking to him. I'll say, you know, I see that you're really upset and you're frustrated um, and that you're sad or whatever whatever emotion he's feeling. I'm sorry that you feel this way. But the answer is still no, if it's no. Um, Or you can't have that, you know, so you stay consistent with what you're saying. Um, so that connection is making their, so it has to do with their, their stress levels. So basically when they're having these big emotions, the brain is relieved, is releasing this stress hormone. And the only way to calm it down is through feeling that connection with us, feeling safe and secure. When they feel that connection and they feel safe and secure, then it helps the stress um, hormones kind of calm down a little bit. And even if for some parents who might be listening now and feel that nothing works when their child is having um, tantrum, stay down at their level, stay connected with them and keep repeating this. And over time, those the, t- the duration of those tantrums 
will be shorter, will be less intense um, because they know that you're, you're there with them. They're still going to have these big emotions. Like I said before, the brain is developing all these skills. But the more that we model how to stay calm and how to stay um, connected with them and controlling our own emotions, the more that they'll learn to do the same. You had mentioned a really important piece of like how we model regulating our own emotions in that moment mm-hmm. is sets the tone and teaches the skills, but then also like a tuning in and connectedness as being so, so vital and important with our kids. Yeah. So I find that the connectiveness part of it really helps both of us. So it helps. It's it's important for us to connect with them because for me, it reminds me that they're a little tiny human being, a full human being <laughs> that's experiencing these emotions and they're not trying to get me. They're not trying to be bad per se. They're just, they don't know what to do with these emotions. And the way that I connect is always making sure that I'm at eye level with them. Um, so if yes. I'm home and I'm in the kitchen and it's usually when I'm cooking that all of a sudden they want to grab things out of the cupboard or climb things or fight when they're playing with their toys. I have to take that time to come down to their level. If they're in the playroom, I get down to their level and look at them in the eyes. Even if they're upset at me and they're really mad to look at them because then that helps me connect to them. And then they might not calm down, but that's the first part of connecting with them. Then um, I find that every child will be different in terms of how they want to connect with you. Some might want to be held just their hand or place a hand on their shoulder or a hug. Even you can ask them. Um, But other kids do not want to be touched when they're Mm -hmm. having these emotional outbursts. So my second one is like that. And for him, I have to sort of connect through verbal cues or verbal, like speaking to him. I I know that you're mad right now, or I I see that, you know, whatever happened with your sister, I don't know, she took your toy and that really upset you. Um, I I can see that. So being, feeling heard and feeling seen um, helps them give, give them that security, that sense of comfort of my mom or my dad or my caregiver is there for me. They understand they're still going to go through these emotions. They'll still continue screaming or crying, but it won't be as long if you continue doing this. You'll notice it kind of gonna, it, it won't be as severe. You might still have times that are severe, but they'll kind of start regulating themselves. And it has to do a lot with the stress system of the brain. So when they're going through these big emotions and screaming and crying, their brain sees it as a legit reason to be that upset. You know, they're like you said, that stress system or response, they're releasing these stress hormones and their brain is totally like just, <laughs> just upset about whatever's happening yeah. to us. It might seem small and, and pointless, but to their brain, it's a legit emotion that it needs stress hormones and needs to be released. So if we connect and, and keep our cool with them, their brain, instead of elevating those cortisol levels and that stress level higher and higher and higher, it's going to say, okay, hold on a second. Maybe the situation is not as bad as I thought, you know, that maybe I can calm down a bit. So again, we can do it a couple times and we might not see a difference, but we really have to be consistent and do this very often. Mm -hmm. And and then you will see a difference because their brain will learn to calm down a bit more. And I love what you had said, like just because we don't think it's a big deal Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's not a big deal for them. It is taking up all their capacity in that moment. And it's important. And it's like, to us, it's just the toy they want to take to bed. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, we know that we don't do this. To them, it's everything in that moment, right? And and taking that perspective. And another one of of the things that you mentioned um, that I also learned from, oh, 
is it Dr. Dan Siegel's work? I think it's Dr. Dan Siegel's work and yeah. like research love and about um, how you're talking about getting down on their level and, and understanding actually that that is a really um, that takes the fight or flight response out of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about, and I think about with my boys, if I'm kind of like towering over them and I'm like, you better freaking get your act together, you know, <laughs> like pull it together. What type of a vibe does that send as an adult? It's like, it's like, grit down for a fight or flight. Like this is we're power struggling right now, right? Versus when I get down on my knee beside my middle one who tends to be the more oppositional, I, I could go from the just from a standing response and talking with him and down to on his level and he'll just like collapse into me. It's a totally different message and communication that we're sending and their body reacts and responds differently because it's not gearing up for like a showdown you know it's more like mom's here to see me like mom's here to connect instead of to to fight or argue and I always like to compare it to situations again that we experience as adults so let's say again a colleague is sitting down at her desk and crying and crying and we're at the next cubicle or the next desk what do we do? Do we stand up and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? <laughs> Don't be a baby or whatever it is. No, we come down and we might get down to her level, put our arm around her. Mm. We're, we're bringing ourselves down to that level because when somebody experiences an emotion, we want to show empathy. We want to connect. And we have to do the same thing with our kids. We do that with friends and colleagues. We have to see our children not as they're not trying to get us, you know, they're, and it's, it's something common that I'll hear, you know, they're being a pest or, or a brat. And it's not, we have to change that mindset. Because if we start our day, and our kid cry, let's just say, okay, let me take today as an example. Mm-hmm. So I ended up bringing my, my, my one year old or 13 month old in bed with me yesterday, because he didn't, he didn't sleep last night. So my husband and I took turns of walking with him, I, there might be a tooth coming, I'm not sure. But it was a really rough night. And this morning, he woke up just screaming and, mm. and didn't want to stop. You know, your brain wants to relax and wake up slowly and, you know, hear the birds outside, whatever that used to be before I had kids. <laughs> I'd slow wake up. <laughs> so yeah, that screaming led to waking up my three-year-old, led to him coming in bed with me, led to mommy, mommy, I want pancakes, led to... So within two minutes of my brain waking up, I was fired up. My heart was pounding because <laughs> I, I wanted to go back to bed. I was, I'm tired and I knew... and. Ever since until this interview right now, both my baby and my three-year-old, one's not listening, one's crying all the time. My husband is two floors up with them because there's just constant crying. So I know it's going to be a rough day. So I have two choices. I can go throughout the rest of the day saying, man, these guys are really getting to me. This is so, you know, it's it's annoying and, and I'm going to lose my, you know, all day. And oh man, this day already is not fun. Or I could say they really need me today. They need an emotional coach and they need me more than yesterday. Yesterday was a very easy day. Today, I can tell you, is going to be a hard day. Mm-hmm. Um, so my own mindset is what makes a big difference um, in, in terms of how I'm going to respond to them. And I know it's not going to, it's, I know it's going to be a difficult day, but I'm not going to use certain words that are going to make it worse for me. But with like the language inside my head, my mindset has to remain positive or else it's going to be even harder. And I think that a really big part of it is like how we regulate ourselves and the patience and the capacity we have to regulate is so important. And this is why when I work with moms and with clients, um, there is such an emphasis on like true and real self-care, not like go to the spa for a day self-care, but like true, real self-care, taking breaks, restorative, recharging activities and breaks because you need to have 
at least some fuel in the battery, if not a full battery, at least some in order to regulate yourself to kind of help set the tone, right? Because I can, if I've had a rough sleep and I already start off the day on edge, even if my kids are like, even if they're not teething or not extra needy, even just my capacity within myself will be less. And that can provoke more power struggles because I've got less patience for just any of it. Right. They might be act- they might not be acting out, but asking for a lot of stuff can I have another snack, can I have another glass oh, of water? Can yeah. Can you up another fruit? And it's not <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I've I've had those moments. But you get frustrated and you're like, why, why am I mad right now? There's really no reason to be upset. Yeah. But I just why? It's because I'm tired and I really don't feel like dealing with this. So it comes down to me. It's yes. just, you know, I, I would rather sit outside and have a coffee right now, but I have to cut a banana again. I just had one. <laughs> it, it also, this morning we were having a talk about, mommy, do you know what I want for my birthday? The birthday that's eight months away. And I'm trying to get breakfast and like I kinked my neck last night. So I'm in pain and I just have like less tolerance overall. And we're like, it has to interrupt what I'm doing in that moment to know (laughs) for the birthday that's eight months away. God bless his heart. Like he's the freaking cutest thing. But I'm just like, my brain is going to explode. So, so much I think is um, like when I'm hearing that moms are having a really hard time regulating and manage, managing their child's behavior, two two things kind of come to mind for me in thinking about moms. One, it's a sign to me that we're we're depleted as moms, and especially yeah. we're talking right now. We're doing this interview in the I middle of the pandemic, and we're exactly. in COVID, and we're all really feeling depleted right now. Yeah. The yeah. childcare has been limited, the supports have been limited, and our batteries are probably on empty or negative yeah. for some moms. Right. So some of the best things that we can do to help. Uh, increase our patience and tolerance for dealing with our child's behavior is just some rejuvenate, rejuvenative like activity. Or now that some of the the at least in Ontario and in in Toronto area, some of our circles are expanding. Send the kids to grandmas if you've got a support system, or you know, figure out a way for you to get some restorative rest in. Exactly. And number two, I think it comes back to some of what we talked about earlier in this interview is that challenging behaviors and big emotions and reactions from our children are to be expected, mm-hmm. they are not a reflection of us doing something wrong as exactly. mothers. Right. And I feel like a lot of moms that I work with, uh, like personalize this behavior. Like if my child has a tantrum or acts out that it's my fault in some way that they are like misbehaving. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, that's just so simply not true. It's just really not that their little brains are figuring out the world and it has Mm -hmm. very little to do with us. Right. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can focus on calming ourselves, breathing, trying to get that heart rate kind of from thumping back to more like a normal, (laughs) you know, pace and, (laughs) and, you know, like breathe and let our jaw like loosen up a little bit. No, yeah. You ever like, have a jaw, like jaw pain? Right. I like pain? Yeah. jaw problems yeah, since yeah. like 2015. <laughs> right. Exactly. So like these are the types of things that actually go such, such a long way in mm-hmm. um, our ability to, to react and regulate um, or model regulation for our kids. Um, Any kind of final words or anything that we, didn't touch on I think we got to some really really um great points yeah well we spoke a bit about the brain development we spoke about our emotions which is the major part of all this and I think we have to remember 
that during the tantrum, you stay calm. And then the biggest work that needs to be done is in between two tantrums. It's in that time where they're calm. That's when you start providing the tools. So when your child is having that big emotion, you're, you can't just say, look at me, calm down. Okay, um, here, here, well, let's apply what we learned or whatever. It, it's not going to work. Their brain is turned off in terms of really taking in what you're saying. They just have to express those emotions. So ride that wave. And then after everything is done, um, then you start figuring out, okay, um, what, you know, if you take notes of their emotions and you start categorizing them, I was answering some of these questions, you know, sometimes it's transitions that cause these tantrums. Sometimes it's wanting to be independent that causes a tantrum. Sometimes it's a lack of language skills. So a baby doesn't understand share that word doesn't mean anything. But if you take that and you provide a tool for them to understand share, for example, in my home, we turned it into switch. So switch is a word that I created a game around. So when my one and three-year-old were playing and fighting for toys, I would say switch because there's an action. So my baby was able to understand that better. And mm. then when they, when I was cooking and I would see that the one and three-year-old were starting to fight over a toy, I would yell switch. So they knew that was a game and they'd switch and it would. And this is how you can really help your child with their, their emotions and their tantrums by seeing it coming or knowing what's happening and then applying those tools to help them. It could be language. It could be emotion. If your child doesn't understand the feeling of being um, disappointed or frustrated, teach them that. Model mm -hmm, it. When mm -hmm. you are frustrated yourself, say mommy or daddy, we are, mommy's frustrated right now. Um, I'm frustrated because... I feel that you're not listening to me or we're not working as a team right now um, mm -hmm. and model what you do when you're frustrated in our home for disappointed. I, <laughs> I don't know why it just happened with one of my kids. I said potato. Um, so I started using potato as how to model <laughs> when you're, you're really disappointed in something like it's kind of like the oh, shucks, you know, like I didn't get what I wanted. I'm disappointed. So now my kids, some, you know, they don't do it every time, but most of the time, You'll hear them playing and it's like, oh, my tower broke my, you know, that I was building with Legos, a oh, potato. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's, but you're giving them, they, you have to remember that every single little thing is something they have to learn. So if we don't show them how to do these things, if we don't, if we say no constantly all day, right? So this is another big one. If we keep mm -hmm. saying no, don't climb there, don't eat this, don't touch this, don't go there, don't do that. Did we ever say yes? Do they know what they can do? Mm -hmm. So for me, a big one too, in terms of providing tools, it's no, you can't open the cupboard, but you can open this drawer because I put all my Tupperware there for you. And this is your yes space. So they go into that cupboard or that drawer and they play there while I'm making supper. So I yeah. know that they're in a safe space. So if they can't climb the couch, no, you can't climb the couch. But let me throw all the pillows on the floor and you can climb over the pillows. Mm -hmm. So no, you can't do that. But yes, you can do this. Creating that model too is providing a tool. So it's about staying calm. It's about, you know, helping them play games and develop their brain skills there. And you can look up Harvard University uh, executive function skills and they have a booklet that goes from six months old till teenage years. Oh, um, giving you activities and ideas of what you can do to help your child develop executive function skills. Uh, you know, simple games and songs that you could sing that mimic uh, that's developing that memory ability and that copy that ability to copy what you're doing. So there Love are things that. That I'll put that in do. the show notes. I'll link that sure, in the show yeah. notes for everybody because that's amazing. Yeah. And one of the things that you also mentioned too, that I think is so important and maybe we'll kind of 
um, leave off with this today mm-hmm. is that in the moments when we become dysregulated and we get it wrong, um, like you said, oh. in these in-between moments is also when there's so much room for repair and connection yes. for yes. us to even revisit a conversation and say, whoa, like mommy really got it wrong that time. Yeah. You know, like mommy was getting angry and didn't realize it and raised her voice instead of having some deep breaths or, or whatever that repair conversation looks like for you. There is space. We all get it wrong. You know, we all have days where we're tired or we're in pain or everyone's just kind of pulling at us and (laughs) we're not going to get it right all the time. But then even in that repair, we can model that and have those conversations with our kids. So exactly. And that's probably one of the most important points. And to finish off with that is perfect because everything that I'm saying, I'm not like that every time I lose my cool and that's normal. I am human. (laughs) And, and we have to take that moment to, again, by repairing and telling them what you just said, you're modeling emotions. You're saying that sometimes you lose your cool and that's fine, but connect with that person. You're connecting again at that moment. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cindy. I've really enjoyed connecting with you and getting to know you more. Where can people find you? Where do you hang out online? Where's your podcast? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So they can visit curiousneuron.com. Um, and we have a lot of our information there. We have a podcast called Curious Neuron. Um, and again, it's always bringing you parenting information that's backed by science uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, if Instagram, it's curious underscore neuron. And um, you could follow us there. Every week I have a different topic and then we focus on that topic and we have a collaborator, a guest collaborator. They provide the actionable tips that parents could start applying in their home. And I research, I summarize research. So it's a really nice mix of what does research say and what can I do in my home? Every aspect of parenting. And there are online courses too on my website. And uh, yeah, I think that's everything we cover. I love it. So go check her out. Curious underscore neuron follow. And I was coming across some of your blog posts on like gut health and brain development. There's so many things I want to pick your brain about. So (laughs) I'm sure we'll find another reason to have you back soon. And thank you for (laughs) spending this time. Thank you so much for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.